This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. A person who might try to explain to the Jewish people in Berlin, in Germany, in the early 1930s, how all the Jews were going to be gassed to death, you know, in death camps by the German death camps. The Jews in Germany in the early 1930s, they were safe, they were secure, they were well-established into German society, and that was something incredible. What are you talking about? That can never happen. That's how the disciples also were looking at the destruction of what he said about Jerusalem and the temple, and they, they saw safety, they saw security, they saw, look, the king here, Herod, he's the one who's built up and beautified this temple. It's called Herod's temple. How could this thing be? Now, this is a... The prophet Jesus here is giving a very long explanation. It's covering two chapters, chapter 24 and chapter 25 of Matthew. And you can break them down. You can break it down into sections in these two chapters. For example, section one is uh, chapter 24, verse four through 14. Four through 14 is section one. You could give that the word overview, overview. In this first section, Christ is describing the overview, the overall course of the world down to the end of the world. That's in those verses, four through 14, the first section. The second section, section two, follows, which is verses 15 through 28, verses 15 through 28. You could give that the single word signs, signs, because in this second section, Christ is describing the signs to look for when the end of the world is coming. And then the third section, which is uh, from verses 29 through 44, verses 29 through 44, you could give that the name suddenness, suddenness, because in this third section, Christ is describing how suddenly the end will come. And then the fourth section is is, uh, the last part of the chapter here, Matthew 24, 45 through 51, 45 through 51. You can give that the word faithfulness, Faithfulness, because in this fourth section, Christ is using a parable of a faithful and an evil servant to describe the importance of being faithful to him in the last days. Now, then, as you move into the next chapter, chapter 25, the fifth section is in the first 13 verses, 1 through 13. In 1 through 13, you can give that the word watchfulness, watchfulness, because in that fifth section, Christ is using a parable of 10 virgins to describe the importance of being ready for him and being in a state of watchfulness. And then the sixth section, which is the chapter 25, 
14 through 30, verses 14 through 30, you can give that the name accountability, accountability. Because in this sixth section, Christ is using a parable of a man who has traveled to away and is now returning home, and he describes his servants that he is calling and held accountable. And then in the last section, which is the last part of the chapter 25, next chapter, the last section is chapter seven, I mean section seven, is verses 31 through 46, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, and that you can give the name judgment, because in this last seventh section of this prophetic explanation, Christ is describing how the Gentile world of nations will be judged based on what they did to the Jewish people. So those are the one word descriptions to describe these seven sections that span over chapters 24 and 25. It's overview, signs, suddenness, faithfulness, watchfulness, accountability, and judgment. Now, when he finished all of these uh, explanation, we're told when he said this, when in the next, in the chapter 26, Matthew 26, verse two, Matthew 26, verse two, when he said, you know that after two days is the feast of Passover and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. So he said all this two days before he was to be crucified. It's kind of a last minute final message to his disciples. Now, even though in this section we do not know and we cannot know the exact details of what will happen and when. Nevertheless, we can see from the issues that Christ has raised what he wants to keep in our minds. And these things come out in the following verses, verse five, Matthew 24, verse five. Many shall come in my name, saying I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Verse 23, Matthew 24, 33. Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. Verse 26, verse 26, behold, he is in the desert. Behold, he is in the secret places, the secret chambers. Verse 27, verse 27, he, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 30, verse 30, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. They shall see the Son of Man coming. Verse 37, verse 37, the coming of the Son of Man be. And verse 39, verse 39, the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 42, verse 42, your Lord doth come. Verse 44, 44, the Son of Man cometh. So though we don't know the exact details of all these, these warnings what he's referring to, one thing is very clear from these verses, and that is Christ wanted to raise in their minds a constant expectation of his coming. And this is what Christ wants for us today in our lives for us to have a constant expectation of the coming of Christ. Even though we don't know when and under what circumstances exactly, we are to have this constant expectation, like a hope, like almost like a daily suspense of the coming of Christ, like the great song, great hymn in our hymnal, which is a, the title of this song is a question, what if it were today? Jesus is coming to earth again. again. What if it were today? Coming in power and love to reign. What if it were today? Coming to claim his chosen bride, all the redeemed and purified, over this whole earth scattered wide. What if it were today? You know, you can almost hear in that hymn, that lyrics, what if it really were today? And that's how Christ wants us to live. 
with the constantly asking ourselves that question, what if it really were today? We're to get up every morning and ask ourselves the question, what if it were this morning before noon? What if it were? What should I do this morning given that Christ might return before noon today? At noontime, we should ask ourselves the question, what if it were this afternoon? What should I do this afternoon if Christ were to return before this evening? And at 7 p.m., we should ask ourselves the question, what if it were this evening? What should I do tonight if Christ were to return before I go to sleep? What do I want him to see me doing this evening, this morning, this afternoon, if he was to come then? What do I not want to see for him to see me doing if it were those times? All those references that Christ made to his return in this chapter that I read, they're all designed to keep us with this constant expectation of his return so it's all designed to keep that in front of us, that constant question, what if it were today? What if it were this morning? What if it were this afternoon? What if it were this evening? That question, asked three times a day, keeps alive the constant expectation of the return of Jesus Christ. And that living constant expectation is what the Bible calls the hope that purifies. The hope that purifies in 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. Now, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not appear what we shall be, but we, shall, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So what John is saying there is that keeping alive the constant expectation of the return of Christ is the hope that purifies, it purifies. And as I just mentioned, it purifies because you say to yourself, what movie do I not want to be in when he comes and returns? What do I want him not to catch me doing? And it's a purifying. If the child was left alone in the house and told, don't put your hand in this cookie jar, if that child expected at any moment for his mother to walk in that door, he's not gonna put his hand in the cookie jar. And keeping alive the constant expectation of the coming of Christ is what the Bible calls loving his appearance. Loving his appearance. And that prepares us to die. Loving his appearance actually is the preparation for us to die and it makes us live for the rewards that Christ has. For example, this is all brought out in 2 Timothy 4.6. 2 Timothy 4.6, where Paul is speaking about his readiness to die. And he says, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous does, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them also that love his appearing. It was that loving his appearing that gave Paul the strength in his life to be able to come to his life and to say, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Wouldn't that be wonderful for us to be able to say? Wouldn't that be wonderful for us to be able to come to the end of our lives and say three words, fought, finished, kept. That's what loving his appearance can do for us. And that's what asking ourselves that same question three times a day can do for us. What if it were this morning? What if it were this afternoon? What if it were this evening? That's all keeping alive the constant expectation of the return of Christ. 
Now, when Christ said that many would come in his name, that's not to say that necessarily that they would say, I'm Christ, I'm Christ, I'm Christ. Because Christ is God, and to come in the name of Christ means that they are coming from God. In other words, they're saying that they're sent from God. So in verse four, Christ uses one word twice. Twice, and that word is many. He said there would be many who would come and claim that they are sent by God, and Christ said that they would deceive many. Those are the two many's. And there have been many that have come claiming to come from God, and they have deceived many. And we see how this applies to Muhammad, who claimed to be the last prophet from God, and he has deceived today 1.8 billion people, Islam. Joseph Smith, who claimed to be a prophet from God, and he has deceived today 17 million people today who are now in Mormonism. Joseph Tate Smith has deceived nine million who call themselves Jehovah Witnesses. Ron Hubbard has deceived four million people in Scientology, and the Pope, who claims to be the vicar or the representative of Christ, he has deceived 1.3 billion persons today in Roman Catholicism. There have been many who are claiming to come from God or representatives of God, and they have deceived many. Verse five, verse five, many shall come and shall deceive many. I think before I said it was verse four, it's five, verse five. Now the Lord speaks about hearing wars and rumors of wars in verse six. You shall hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass and the end is not yet. And today we hear of wars, wars around the world, wars in Africa, wars in Ukraine, wars in the Middle East, wars about to start in Korea, wars about to start in Taiwan, war in the South China Sea. And we hear all these wars in the media. And it's very easy for us to become addicted to the media, for us to, the minute we pick up our cell phone, we go to some news app to see what's happened. Like, we're the president, we have to check in or something like that, what's going on in world conditions. You get into that, and if you turn on TV, like uh, Fox News or CNN or whatever, everything you hear is disturbing. It's all troubling. It's like all the news today is designed to disturb you. It's designed to rob you of the peace. Sometimes the news will actually say, now the following things we're gonna show you is very disturbing and viewer discretion is advised. Well, that's what Christ is saying in verse six here. He's saying believer discretion is advised. Believer discretion means from verse six that we should expect to hear of these wars and rumors of wars. For example, just read yesterday of an article in the, the journal Business Insider. The title is, minutes to hours after a nuclear blast are critical for your survival. Disaster experts explain how to protect yourself in a worst case scenario. And in this article, it went on to explain that there would be 30 minutes or less of warning before a nuclear bomb was going to explode. And it was explaining where you should go for shelter and how you should cover your eyes and then how you should immediately blow your nose to get the radiation out and you should go take a warm shower immediately with lots of soap and a lot of instructions for what to do after a nuclear. That's very disturbing, <laughs> very troubling. To say the least, it's disturbing. It rem removes peace. You know, Russia has now moved their nuclear arsenal on the ready and it sounds like the end is near. But Christ said in verse six that the reports of wars and rumors of wars must happen, but don't let those rumors take away your peace. 
because he said the end is not yet. Because he says in verse seven, nation would rise against nation. And that's what we see, this international state of nation rising against nation. Russia rising against the nation of Ukraine. North Korea rising against the nation of South Korea, rising against Taiwan, Yemen against Saudi Arabia, Iran against Israel, everybody against Israel, but especially Iran. And these are nations that are rising against nations. And then Christ spoke of famines, great famines. Ethiopia is the shining example. Millions have died from the famines in Ethiopia. And then earthquakes in diverse places when you least expect it, places like Thailand, who would ever thought it wasn't considered in the area of faults. And he refers to all of these in verse eight, Christ refers to all these as the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of sorrows. The word sorrows there in the Greek is the word for labor pains, birth pains, like a baby is gonna be born and a new baby is about to be born because it says in Romans 8.22, Romans 8.22, we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Now Christ turns to what will happen to believers during this time in verse nine. Verse nine, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So what's on the agenda for believers is persecution, murder, and hatred. Apart from that, what a wonderful place. And the world is falling deeper and deeper into deception and trouble. And there are gonna be two groups as this deception and trouble are going on Two groups that are gonna be blamed for it all, believers in Christ and Jews. It's all those those Bible believers and it's all those Jews that are to be blamed. And Christ said that there was gonna get to a point where there's actually gonna be a betrayal in verse 10, verse 10. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. During the time of the Romans here, there was a Roman historian named Tacitus and Tacitus wrote this, he said, first, those were seized who confessed that they were Christians. And then on their information, a vast multitude was convicted. So they turned, that's betrayal. Now deception is always led by some kind of a prominent person, some person, some teacher that uh, teaching is so eye-opening, it's so wonderful, I never heard this before, it's so new, it's never been revealed before, it's like a breath of fresh air. Those are the marks of a deceiver. And Christ described what would be the greatest factor in removing from people's hearts the love of God. And he said in verse 12, verse 12, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The word iniquity there is the Greek word for lawlessness, no law, anarchy, antifa. Lawlessness. Lawlessness is what we see in our country. You know, last Wednesday I was in San Francisco, I was downtown San Francisco, the Israeli embassy, and and, uh, Mike Johnson and I and his his wife, we had lunch together, we sat on a sidewalk at a sandwich place, we ate lunch and we looked around, and as we looked around in San Francisco, it's shocking. All the cars are unlocked because the police will not prosecute anyone who breaks into a car to steal. So the people would rather have their cars not damaged by breaking it so they just leave it open. Lawlessness, that's lawlessness. And Christ said that it will cause the love of many to just go cold, go cold. Love for God will become cold. This is what happened in the church of Ephesus, where it says in Revelation 2.2, Revelation 2.2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience 
and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which are say the apostles and are not, has found them liars, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. He said the word labored three times. You worked, and you worked, and you worked, and you worked, but your heart is as cold as ice. You have no love for God. Works is a deception from Satan that this is what pleases God. I always think of that sign over Auschwitz, Arbeit macht frei. A work will make you free as the prisoners were brought into that concentration camp there. And the thing they said, work will make you free, it was a lie. Work never made any of them free. It only sent them to their gas chambers. But that was a lie. That was a deceptive lie. Well, the same thing holds true from the spiritual sense, that within the various religions of the world, it's all work will make you free. Work will make you reconcile to God. Work will bring you. That's a lie. That's as bold a lie as on the entrance of the gate of Auschwitz, the concentration camp. It doesn't. Faith makes you free. Trusting God makes you free. Love for God makes you free. And the church of Ephesus just became a cold, sterile machine that worked for God. They sunk into a routine of formal service, of traditional service without any heart for God, without any love for God, just cold, dead, orthodox service for God. And Christ says that lawlessness will do that. And then he says what the goal should be during this hard time. The goal, he says, in verse 13, verse 13, he says, he that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. The goal is endurance. The goal is perseverance. The goal is holding on. The goal is not giving up. And Christ said that those who endure to the end are the ones who are saved. What? That's what he said. You mean not the passing wishful prayer of God forgive me for my sins? That doesn't save a person? Not the rush of a feeling and a speaking in tongues that saves a person? Not the cold, loveless working for God that saves a person? No, endurance, endurance. The endurance of Revelation 2.10, Revelation 2.10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. You shall have tribulation 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. That's the salvation. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now, speaking about the future now, Christ has spoken about the overall threat to believers. That's deception. He's spoken about the overall international relations between countries. That's wars. He's spoken about the overall state of the world. That's lawlessness. He's spoken about the overall way in which believers are viewed by the world, that's hatred. He's spoken about the overall trend of Christians, that's cold. And now the Lord turns from the overall deceptions and wars and lawlessness and hatred and cold-heartedness to speak about the overall hope of the world, that's verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, then shall the end come. So he now turns to the gospel for all the world. 
This is so typical of God. God who counters deceptions with truth. God who counters war with peace. God who counters lawlessness with commandments. God who counters hatred with reconciliation. God who counters cold-heartedness with love. And he does this because in the future of the world, it will become more and more worse, more and more sinful, and that increased sinfulness and terribleness, it triggers God into action. And the action that it triggers God into is Romans 5.20, Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where the height that sin jumped to, God's grace jumped higher. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.